Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this time together. We pray, Lord, that we could just have a sense of your presence here, a sense of your goodness and your love, your grace. Pray, Father, that you could just uh, meet us here. And, Father, help us just to grow in our relationship with you. Father, thank you for these good people. Bless us as we wrap up this series today. And we ask this all in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Well, good to be with you, church. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Enjoying this fall weather? Yes, it's been beautiful. Today, next service, we have our trunk or treat. So if you want to come back and get some candy um, or have a trunk, you're you're welcome to do so. Uh, That should be pretty fun. Um, But today, we are wrapping up our Mere Christianity series. So I know everyone, you just kind of wanted it to keep going on and on and on, but it it has to come to an end, and and today is that day. Um, So we're going to wrap it up. And for those that are interested, on Wednesday at 6.30, I'm going to do a little C.S. Lewis seminar. So I'm going to just kind of talk about his life, his writings. Wednesday, 6.30, you can sign up online or in the back. Anybody's welcome. Um, And just kind of if you want to, you know, nerd out on C.S. Lewis with me, uh, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, so far my wife and my mom are coming. So, um, so it's looking good. It's looking good. No, actually neither of them are coming. But, uh, but no, we're going to have a good time. Um, so, uh, so today we're going to wrap up this series. And, you know, I, I love fall. Anybody love fall? You know, the, the beauty of it. And one of my favorite things about fall is hoodies. Any hoodie fans? Like, I, I could wear a hoodie every single day. In fact, most days I do. And, and recently, I, I was looking for a new hoodie that I wanted to buy. And I was looking on Amazon, and I wanted one of those, like, flannel hoodies. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing over there. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's like a flannel and a hoodie. And I found one on Amazon. And uh, it was only like 20 bucks. And I was like, great, you know, that seems like a good price. Uh, so I, I ordered it and I, I thought it looked cool. And, you know, it was one of those moments. It, it, it arrived the next day because, you know, I'm a Christian. I have Amazon Prime. And I came and I, <laughs> and I, I opened it up. And, man, I don't even know what type of material this thing is. It is like no fabric. I have, uh, this is the jankiest hoodie. I think it's made of paper mache. Like, I was like, this is ridiculous. And, and I, I just was so, you know, frustrated and disappointed because Allie's like, well, you could send it back. I'm like, baby, you think I'm really going to go through the work to do that? I just, I just ate that $20. And not only am I out $20, but I also don't have a, a cool new hoodie. So I, I was equally disappointed. And you know, life is full of a lot of disappointments, isn't it? In fact, you could, you know, if we were kind of to be a little pessimistic this morning, you say a lot of life is sort of managing disappointment, isn't it? So, you know, you, you order one thing, you, you think you're getting it, and then it arrives the next day, and it's not what you thought. And there's times where life is like that. You know, you think life's kind of going one direction, and then, then something happens, something out of your control, and, and you're faced with those, those feelings of, of frustration, and disappointment, and, and those are hard things to process, right? And C.S. Lewis says that, believe it or not, that experience, 
that we constantly face in life. Because let's be honest, you can't have enough good moments, good relationships, good times that is going to cut out all your future disappointment. Right? You can't like stack up so much today that you're going to remove it all from your life, right? We all know we're going to continue to face it at some level. And C.S. Lewis says that that actually is evidence for God. Like, well, how is that possible? How how is that evidence? And, And what he says is that if you notice, the desires that we all have in life have a corresponding fulfillment. You know, babies, they have a desire for food. Man, my one-and-a-half-year-old, this girl eats 24 hours a day. It's unbelievable. She definitely got my appetite. Uh, She just always, right? But but that's a natural desire because there's a fulfillment for it. You know, animals might have a desire, duck might have a desire for water. Well, that's because it's meant to live part of its life in it. But here's what C.S. Lewis says. There's desires in all of us that nothing in this world can satisfy. Right now, we have desires that this world can satisfy, and we get those, right? You, you get the desire to sleep because you're tired. Your body needs rest. You get the desire for food because it needs sustenance. We get the de- desire for water because we need hydrate. All those we get. But then can't we admit that there are some desires that are deeper than all that? And there are some desires that... that you know, we go through life and we carry them. And, and at the one hand, you could look at them and say, well, you know, we just got to get used to disappointment in life. And that's part of it. Or here's what C.S. Lewis would say. He said, those desires are in you from God. But here's the reality. They're meant to be fulfilled, not in this world, but beyond this world. That in every human being, part of the reason we struggle with disappointment, with unfulfilled desires, is because our desires are meant to be filled not in this world, but beyond this world. You with me on this? And that our connection to God is meant to be that avenue through which those desires are truly met. And so I want to talk about that today. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to see this, this time in Jesus' life. This is kind of early on, right before he would start what we call his public ministry, where he goes around preaching and teaching and all that kind of thing. And this is what happens. Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 13. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Now John was Jesus' cousin. And John was a sort of uh, wild man. He was kind of out there on his own, and he was preaching, and he was calling, you know, the nation of Israel, his people, and Jesus' people, and saying, hey, God's doing something special in this time, and, and you've got to repent. You've got to connect to him. You've got to change your way and realize you're, you're not going on the right path. And so John was preaching this message, stirring a lot of people up, and people were coming to him, and he was baptizing them as a sign of that repentance, of that way of saying, hey, we're off track, and we need God's help to get back on track. So this is John. And Jesus came to John, look at it, to be baptized by him. But John would have prevented him, or John was trying to prevent him. 
I need to be baptized by you? Do you come to me? And here's why. Because John was one of the few people that recognized who Jesus really was. John understood that Jesus was God's son, was the Messiah. John was one of the few people that seemed to get it very, very soon and very, very clearly. And so when Jesus comes to him to get baptized, John is like, Jesus, what's going on here? You don't need to repent. You haven't done anything wrong. You're here to fulfill the work of God. You you don't need to be baptized by me. If anything, I should be baptized by you. And then Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says, John, just trust me. I just need you to trust me on this. There's a purpose to this. It's not the purpose that you think, but it is an important purpose. And so he consented. And look at this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. So a powerful scene takes place here. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage. Jesus gets baptized. He comes out of the water. The Spirit of God descends like a dove. I don't know the full details of what that means, but that would have been noticeable, right? That would have been powerful. That that would have been an unusual thing that, that happened there. And then not only that, but there's a voice from heaven. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Now, this is a picture of what Christians call the Trinity. This is a picture of how we we understand something about the reality of God. We have the three persons of the Trinity all in the same place at work in different ways, In this moment, we have God the Father with this voice of affirmation. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. We have the Spirit of God, you know, anointing Jesus, resting on Jesus like a dove. And then we have Jesus, the Son of God, being baptized. And when we talk about things like the Trinity, these are part of the the central understandings of, of what Christians believe. But I will tell you, it's not an easy thing to fully get our minds around. C.S. Lewis, he has this great line. He says, all real things are not simple. All real things are not simple. And here's what he means by that. We could look at the chairs in this auditorium, and on one hand, we look at those chairs and we're like, well, that's pretty simple. It's a chair, right? You sit on it. We can fold it, put it away. We've got chairs at work. We've got chairs at home. There's chair. We, we know what a chair is. And in that way, it's simple. But if you were to look at the chair at the molecular level, and you were to look at the atoms moving around and the protons and neutrons and quarks and whatever else all that stuff is now, I mean, there's like a new layer of it. You know, back when I was school, we, in school, there, weren't, there was no quarks. Anyway, but you get what I'm saying. It's, it's, a, it's a lot more complicated, isn't it? And Lewis says that all real things are not simple. Now, when we approach Christianity, 
The message of Christianity is simple. The core of Christianity is simple. God loves you. Christ died for you. Look to him. Trust in him. Find your forgiveness in him. We're lost without, right? All those, in many ways, are simple messages that whether you're seven years old, you could probably grasp it and understand it, or you're 87. It, it can run the whole spectrum. But just because there are simple messages in it doesn't mean God himself is simple. You with me on this? And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to allow our hearts and minds to be stretched to understand God. We want to, you know, simplify God, and we want to boil him down to, you know, formulas and ideas that, that can sit well in our head and that we can fully comprehend. But I just want to tell you today, if we are going to really try to understand God, there's always going to be parts to him that are infinitely beyond us. Right? If you can answer and understand everything about God, I'm going to venture to say you're not actually thinking about God. You're thinking about a version of God that you've created in your head. Because there, there is always part of God, church, that's beyond us. And that's okay. That's why he's the infinite, almighty God, and you and I are not. And so as Christians, we, we have to be comfortable with a certain level of, of mystery. A certain level of, hey, I want to understand, I, I want to pursue, but I also want to leave room that God is way bigger than my brain can handle, than my experience. You know what? That's okay. That is okay. I would say that's, in fact, actually pretty healthy. And so as we kind of talk about this idea of the Trinity, I just want to set that expectation for us. We're, we're not going to fully understand all these aspects of it, but the scriptures do show God in this way. And so we have to strive to understand it the best that we can because there's important things in it. You with me on this? And so let's dig in a little bit more. Let's talk about the Trinity. So we see this, this Trinitarian picture of God. Now, what does this mean? First, Christianity does not believe in three gods. That's what we call polytheism, right? Where there's three separate gods. One of the, the big ideas all throughout the scripture is that God is one. God is one being. The most uh, important prayer in Judaism comes from Deut Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. And the prayer in Judaism says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that idea gets continued from Judaism into Christianity to say that, hey, as followers of Christ, we believe in one God. One being. Not any more than that. But, and here's where it gets hard. God exists as these three distinct persons. He is one, but these three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, are all fully God and fully united. And again, that's a, an idea that doesn't, it's hard to grasp, it's hard to fully settle in, but, but we see it here, right? We see the Father affirming the Son, the Son being baptized by John, and the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. It's not like God is just showing up as these different people at different times, but they are all the Godhead. 
Now, here's what's really awesome about this idea of the Trinity. The Trinity shows us that God at the core of God, church, is perfect community. Father, Son, and Spirit working together, glorifying each other, creating, redeeming, all of this, all these things that we have. The Trinity is working in this perfect harmony. At the core of God, church, is perfect and healthy relationships. Now, this is important to understand in our lives. And the Trinity is always working in just this, this perfect harmony. Now, think about your life. Right? One of the most challenging things in our life is when relationships are out of harmony, right? When relation, you can have everything going good in life, but when your relationships are out of harmony, none of that matters. And on the flip side, you can have a lot of bad things going on, but if your relationships are in harmony, you have some strength. You with me on this? I've been reading uh, this marriage book, and I've been telling Allie, you have so much to learn. You know? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And uh, she having a real hard time receiving that message for some reason. But it's a good, it, it's John Gottman's seven, seven Principles of a Meaningful Marriage. And uh, some of you may have read it before. It's been out for a while. But, but I was reading, and he, and he talks about uh, conflict. You know, and I know your marriages don't have any conflict, but every once in a while, mine does. And, uh, and, he, and he talks about how in, in conflict, you know, obviously conflict is not bad, right? That's part of any relationship. But he says, but, but here's where we go off the rails is when we let these four horsemen into our relationship. The four horsemen, he says, and here's what they are. It's when our conflict, when we turn in that to one criticism, criticism, so in our relationships, complaint is one thing, right? In relationships, you're going to have complaints, and that's fine. That's, you know, that's legitimate. There's nothing wrong with that. But when a complaint turns into a criticism, it leads us into more dangerous waters. The second is contempt. When then, through that criticism, we start to really view that person and our experience with them in ugly and negative ways. And we kind of begin to look and see, you know what? I've always been frustrated with you. You know what? You, you've never, you know, we start to use terminology like that. Creates contempt. The third is defensiveness. We know what that is. And the fourth, the fourth is stonewalling. And that's where we just check out. Just we stop listening. We go to our phone. We just exit the conversation. And he says, conflict's not the problem, but the problem is when we respond in those ways. And so after reading that, I was like, well, how do I have conflict with my wife then if I can't use any of those? I was truly confused. It's like, well, what, what, what can I do? And I'm still trying to figure that one out. But anyway, um, <laughs> that was a joke, y'all, right? Just kind of relax. Um, but, it's, but it's amazing to think. Here, here's why I bring that up. We know the challenge of healthy relationships. The Trinity doesn't worry about any of this stuff. The Trinity doesn't, doesn't worry about the struggles that we have. It's the ultimate community. It's the perfect community. And God is inviting each and every one of us into it. I mean, think about the most elite club, elite place, elite community that you've tried to be part of. And maybe it didn't, didn't work out. 
I remember in elementary school, there was this thing called the Presidential Fitness Club. I mean, that's as elite as it comes. The presidential, as a fourth grader, you can be part of the Presidential Fitness Club. Yeah. Well, your boy never made it. See, when I was a kid, I had a slow metabolism. <laughs> Glad you think that's funny. And the baby fat stuck around for a while. Is that still trying to get rid of some of that? Baby fat. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, in the pre to be part of the presidential fitness club, you had to, like, run a mile and so time. Well, running a mile wasn't really my thing. You know, you had to do pull-ups. That wasn't happening. Um, you know, some kind of stretch stuff. It just, it just never worked. But, but I wanted to be part because I was like, man, you know, it's a presidential fitness club. That's some real stuff there. And, and I didn't make it. But here's the deal. The, the Trinity, the Trinity is the most perfect community. It's the most healing community. It's the most joy-filled community. It's the most transformed community. And, and the beauty of a relationship with God is God is constantly inviting each of us into that community. And as we are part of that, it's transforming to us. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. I love this quote. He says, you may ask, if we cannot imagine a three-personal being, what is the good of talking about him? Well, there isn't any good talking about him. Keep going. The thing that matters is being actually drawn into that three-personal life, and that may begin any time, tonight if you like. What I mean is this. An ordinary, simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He's trying to get in touch with God, but if he's a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God. God, so to speak, inside him. But he also knows that all his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God. That Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what is happening. God is the thing to which he is praying, the goal he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him which is pushing him on, the motive power. God is also the road or bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal. So that the whole threefold life of the three personal being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary man is saying his prayers. I thought that was a powerful image to me. You know, every time you're, you're engaging, you're praying, you, you are, you're entering the community of the Trinity. And the Trinity is, is working for you. The Spirit of God is, is, is guiding your prayers and helping you. The Scriptures say sometimes the Spirit prays for us in ways that, that we can't utter, that we don't even know what, we're, what we need to say, but He says it for us. Christ gives us access where we can approach the throne of God boldly and we can know, hey, our prayers will be listened to because Christ has paved the way. And the Father hears and responds and, and it's this beautiful thing that happens all the time as we enter into that life. Now let me talk about one other thing here. I love just this moment of validation that Jesus experiences here. I just want to talk for a moment about this. Jesus is baptized, and he gets this affirmation from the Father. And what I see here is, is a model for how you and I are meant to present ourselves to God's purposes. 
See, what does Jesus do here in this moment? John says, don't baptize me, uh, or I, I can't baptize you. It, this, this doesn't make sense. And Jesus says, no, this is the right thing to do because here's what he's doing in this moment. He's just fully presenting himself to God. He's just fully offering his life and his purpose to God. And it's one of the, the most important things that always needs to happen if we're ever going to really connect into the community of the Trinity. That it begins by us just offering, surrendering our lives to God fully and completely. And then Jesus gives us this beautiful model to live from. And here's what it is. Jesus lives from the Father's love, not for it. He lives from the Father's love, not for it. Here's what I mean. He gets, this is my son, with whom I am well pleased before he has done any ministry at all. The beginning point of Jesus' ministry here is affirmation from God. You are my son. I am well pleased. And then from that place, he goes and does his ministry. Now, what sometimes we do as human beings is we actually live our life chasing that affirmation. We live our life thinking that if we do things right, if we do things good, then maybe we can hear that. But the beauty of the Trinity, the beauty of God's grace is that God says, no, before you do anything, I want you to know I love you. Before you do anything for me, I want you to know I'm, I'm pleased with you. Before you do anything for my name, I want to affirm and validate you, and I want you to live from that place. And I think it's so powerful, because all of us need that in life. We need that affirmation. We need validation. One writer says we all need to hear these three things. Now, many times these are meant to come through our parents or our families, but they don't always get through, and they definitely need to come to us from God. Here's what they are. Number one, we need to know we belong to someone. And here the Father says to Jesus, this is my son. And I want you to know today that maybe some of you, you need to know you belong to God. You have a place with him. We all need to hear that we are loved for who we are, not what we do. Church, we are so performance-wired, we don't even realize it. And as Christians, we are the worst. And even though we, we say the gospel is a free gift from God, we don't always really believe it in our hearts. And we think that we've got to prove it. We've got to become something. Instead of just receiving the gift and the grace that God has for us in living from that place. That's the good news of the gospel. Hey, today you have no one to impress and nothing to prove. Your heavenly, this validation that Christ modeled it for it, but I believe every person connected to Christ, you can apply those words to your life. Today, you are God's son or God's daughter, and with you, he is well pleased. Not because you get it right every day, because you don't, but because he loves you anyway. You with me on this? 
because he loves you and forgave your sin. And all of us, we need that to settle in our hearts. You are loved for who you are. Before Jesus' ministry, it's affirmation, then ministry. Here's how you will crush your soul if you put ministry for the sake of affirmation. You've got to live from God's love, not for God's love. You've got to live filled with it, not trying to earn it or make yourself worthy of it. Somebody's better give me an amen here today. I'm going to get very, I'm going to get very upset. <laughs> Three, <laughs> thank you. Three, you are capable and strong. You, God, God has made you capable for the challenges that I am well pleased. Christ, I am well pleased. I love that validation. And then let me just talk about this last part, the baptism. Jesus's ministry begins with this baptism, this, baptism, this, this moment of affirmation. But I want to say to us today that Jesus's ministry in us, in your heart, in your life, in my life, in my heart, it begins when we see this declaration of Christ and we hold to it in our own life. It begins when, when we see Christ as God's son, as the one who is pleasing and good in every way. C.S. Lewis says this, in the same way the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. See, at the end of the day, the most important thing for you and me, is to see the sufficiency, the beauty, the salvation, the hope, the strength of Jesus Christ in your life, for your life, and to just take hold of that. I was listening to this, this conversation with an 80-year-old pastor, a 50-year-old pastor, and a 20-year-old pastor. It's really cool. And, and they were talking about the 80-year-old pastor kind of started, and he said, you know, when, when I entered ministry, you know, like when the long time ago, and, and just leave it at that, when I entered a ministry a long time ago, he said that, um, that the church was like, it was like a holy huddle. You know, you, you couldn't go to church and act like you had problems in life, right? Everybody put on a good face, and it was like, all right, we don't, we don't really talk about real issues in church. We just sort of act like it's all good. And he said, like, the church was just sort of this, this separatist, kind of head-in-the-sand type of place. And so he said, as a pastor, one of his challenges was just helping bring authenticity and, and real life and kind of breaking down some, some of those walls. And then the 50-year-old the pastor talked about how, you know, when he started ministry in, in the 90s, that, that it was just people didn't see how it was relevant to their lives and couldn't understand how to connect God. And the 20-year-old pastor talked about what, what he experiences with his generation. And it was an awesome conversation to, to listen to. But what it reminded me was that Christ has the answers for every generation. He has the answers for every generation. Yeah, they get nuanced a little bit, right? Maybe we're worried, can, will God accept me in my brokenness? Yes. Can God help me in my real struggles? Yes. Can God, like, they're, they're all a little bit different and a little bit nuanced, but at the end of the day, Christ is still what every generation needs. And he is, is as relevant and as necessary as ever. And when I look at the future church, I am filled with hope. I am filled with hope because Christ has everything 
that we need in our lives. And when we begin to recognize that truly, like this moment where they recognize, like, all right, something's up here. Jesus is baptized, the Spirit's descending, the Father, we hear this audible voice, but not sure where it's coming from. When they see that, they're like, all right, there's something special about Jesus Christ. And when you really, really see that in your own heart, in your own life, that's when things begin to change. That's when we begin to experience transformation. That's when we, we begin to enter into the community, to the life of God in greater in greater ways. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, the principle runs through life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions, favorite wishes every day, death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, church. Look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. I love that. Lewis says that. He says, ultimately, the Trinity is, is like a dance. It's like a dance. And he said, but, but to really enter that dance, you have to allow yourself to be led by God. Now, I don't know a lot about dancing. Yes, I have a couple great moves <laughs> up my sleeve, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, <laughs> y'all aren't ready for it. It's too early. Um, but I don't know a lot. But I've seen Dancing with the Stars a few times. And what I've picked up from that show is that someone's got to lead the dance, right? And both people can't lead it. And not only does someone have to lead the dance, but the other person has to willingly follow. If they stand there like a statue, it's not going to be a good dance. They're going to get voted off. Um, it's not going to work out. And this is reality. Here, here's what Lewis says. He says, man, there, there is a dance. It's the dance of the Trinity. And that the Father, Son, and Spirit are working step in step. They're glorifying each other. They're, they're filled with this incredible, perfect community. It's overflowing joy. And God is inviting each of us into that dance. But here's the deal. You've got to let God lead you in it. You've got to step in step with him. You can't just stand there and say, all right, God, you dance around me. No, that's not a pretty dance. That's not how it works. You've got to allow yourself to be led and directed by God. And all of us, church, all of us will always have things in our life that are keeping us stationary, that are keeping us from taking that step with God, that are keeping us from that divine joy, from that perfect community, and only when we can allow Christ to lead us can we get to where we need to get. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We pray, Lord, that we could just experience the joy of a relationship with you. 
the community of the Trinity, the blessing of the Trinity. Father, the, the ideas, they're, they're hard and they stretch us, and there's, there's a lot that, that we don't know and can't fully explain or comprehend, Lord, and, but we're comfortable just acknowledging you are God and you are infinitely above and beyond us. But Lord, the beauty of life with you, we can understand. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to truly enter into it in a real way. Father, today maybe there's, there's some ways that we are just resisting you. Ways that, that we're trying to, to lead the dance, trying to carve our own path, do our own thing. And yet, Lord, there's no real joy in that. We think there is, but it's just disappointment. And today, Father, I just pray we could trust you. We could see the beauty of Christ, the hope of his love, the strength of his presence, and we could just go and step with you and experience the joy of who you are. Bless us with this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.